Hey everyone, this is Josh Schlossberg and welcome to the Green Root Podcast. This episode we'll be talking with Karen Schrag. Karen is the author of the book Move Upstream, A Call to Solve Overpopulation. She is a retired naturalist director and has also authored 15 other books, including the children's book series Nature's Yucky. She got her doctorate from the University of St. Thomas in Critical Pedagogy, Social Justice, and has a master's and bachelor's in environmental education. Karen is a longtime overpopulation advocate and has spoken on the issue in China, England, and in her home state of Minnesota. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. Well, thank you for having me, Josh. I'm excited to have you here because this is a controversial topic, but one that I feel like a responsible environmentalist can't pretend should not be addressed. So even though this is a tricky topic, I think it's really important to discuss this stuff. That's why the Green Root Podcast exists and you have come highly recommended. So let's just start with why do you work on this issue of population of all topics? Well, I think it comes from experience and trying to be successful downstream. So for many years, 35 to be exact, I taught children about environmental education. I thought the world will get better when we understand the environment. And you open the paper every day and that's not true. The environment kept getting worse. There were some successes, of course, in my home state of Minnesota. I can count the species that I know that people who helped bring them back. The bald eagle was brought back in my state. The trumpeter swan was brought back. Um, Lake Erie was cleaned up in uh, other states. So there were some successes. But overall, I just kept noticing that the environment was not doing as well as it should be if I was doing a good job. And we have more nature centers in Minnesota than any other state. And I knew very, very good naturalists who were all doing a good job. And then I met the um, director of World Population Balance, who started it, David Paxson. He's actually a neighbor of my nature center, Wood Lake in Richfield. And he just brought me back to my roots because in when I was in 11th grade, I read the book uh, Population Bomb by Paul Ehrlich. And I think I just mentally put it aside because I thought, no, no, I can save the world by just you know, teaching kids how to love the environment. Um, so between the meeting of his mind and thoughts and my own experience, I realized I had to move upstream and deal with something that was driving species to extinction, driving our rivers to run dry. And that was that we grow by 10,000 people per hour on the planet every hour of every day, gaining five and a half billion since my beloved father was born in 1925. So I just feel that even though it's difficult, it's only difficult because the story we live is a story that's very, very pro-human. It's very, well, humans are great, therefore there can't be too many of them. And that's where the I think the controversy lies because I don't worry about and talk about solutions very much because I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is understanding the problem. Um, you don't, you know, I always say that you get smoking in the back of airplanes when you don't understand the full nature of why smoking is a problem. So solutions coming too early and it certainly came too early in, in our movement. We have to own some of the horrible things that were suggested and believed long ago when the movement first got started because it isn't about race and it's not about 
anything other than we're humans on top of a food pyramid and we are growing and we're too successful basically for our own good. That was a long answer for a short question. Well, this is a podcast and it's all about long answers. <laughs> so you're in the right place. So I personally have not really dabbled much in the topic of overpopulation. I've, I've mentioned it here and there. I've worked on issues around consumption. So I do right. feel like consumption, then we also have to say, all right, well, the number of consumers. So it seems to me just fairly obvious that this would be a part of the equation, but it was interesting because the film Planet of the Humans that came out recently, and I was in the biomass component of it, just for full disclosure. People who have listened to the podcast already know that. And there was a few second mention of consumption and then also a few second mention of population. And that led critics to accuse the filmmakers. So Michael Moore was the executive producer and Jeff Gibbs was the writer and director, accuse accusations of eugenics, which right. I didn't see anywhere in the, the film, but it got me a bit more aware of, let's not just say the criticism, because I've been aware of the criticism in the past history and, and aspects of racism that gets tied into the issue potentially, but basically taking, oh, you mentioned the number of humans, therefore you want to eradicate right. certain groups of people and you want to commit genocide. I just, I didn't make the connection. So I do feel like there's a lot of controversy out there. But before getting into that, I do just want to bring up this concept that I'm curious if you heard of. So it's the I equals PAT. So I mm -hmm. equals PAT. So quoting here, it's a mathematical notation of a formula to describe the impact of human activity on the environment. So I equals P times A times T. So P is so I is the impact, P is population times A, which is affluence, times T, which is technology. So would you feel like that's an accurate way to look at at least some of the aspects of the impact on the natural world? Well, I think it used to be. And hmm. the reason it used to be is um, that when you have pushing 8 billion people, I don't think there's anything I did today that was sustainable, not one thing, and not turning on the lights, not uh, even being in my organic garden, not drinking the green tea, which came from India, not having a mango, which came from Mexico. Um, and, and when you have to multiply by such a large number, I don't think what, um, no matter how many technological devices, and of course we're talking on right now, we have, that adds to the problem. But, you know, long ago, I think it was Gandhi said that, you know, we can afford our need, but not our greed. But we can no longer afford our need anymore. So I think that 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 equation isn't wrong, but it's a bit outdated. I'll give you an example. So it takes about 300 gallons of water to support one person in the United States today. It's because we have a pretty efficient uh, water supply system as opposed to many of the other developing countries. But of that, 24% is just associated with toilets. Now, not to go down the crapper on this, but basically we have 330 million, we're going to hit 330 million this week, um, people who are going to flush a toilet with potable water. And yes, could we, could we go to compostable toilets? We certainly could. They're, they've been invented. They're very expensive. 
not likely to happen. So let's just deal with the system that we have. So 24% of my daily water requirement is just flushing a toilet. I don't consider that to be an action of affluence. It's an action of need, if you get where I'm going on this. So, So when you have double the people, triple actually in my lifetime, I'm 66, in the United States, what I want to ask all the people who are so nervous about this issue, what what kept up with that growth on the nature side of things? Because we all are dependent on the natural cycles. And if we have, you know, let's see, it's about 77% of our water comes from surface water, that's lakes and, and rivers. And about 23% comes from groundwater. I know in our, my own home state, we're over pumping the groundwater four times its rate of recharge right now. And when you keep adding people, you keep putting yourself in the position where the people in Cape Town, South Africa are, where they're running out of water. In South Africa, back in the 70s, no, in the 50s, they had about oh, 600,000 people living there. Well, now they have four and a half million people trying to to get water in a much more water scarce environment. Well, we're all going to be water scarce if too many people are asking the world for 300 gallons or, or maybe a little less a day. And what we've been coming at it is let's not talk about people. Let's just take shorter showers. You know, let's just maybe flush the toilet less, you know, and that just gets eaten up by the tremendous amount of population that we have and are growing by. So I do think iPad is true, but it, but there's something else going on, and it's just just pure numbers are going to drive us into a terrible place, and it's that that part of the ec- ecological equation is not getting its proper attention because of some things we need to own. They're, they're, I'm not we've not been a very pure uh, organization. Uh, it's very loosely organized. I should even call us an organization of people who care about this issue uh, since since it began with Malthus. Um, but it still doesn't mean that it isn't true. And that's where I come from is saying that um, the sheer numbers, like, you know, Josh, if you snapped your fingers every second, how long it would take you to reach just a billion? Took a just while. Snap. <laughs> it would take you 240 years. And that's what a billion is. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's like, oh, I'm just going to snap my fingers a billion times. No, you're not. You're going to die first. And I just say that so people can understand the volume of where we are right now. Sure. And, so, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's more, I'd rather the discussion beyond that, mm-hmm. because then when you say, well, okay, oh, and we're going to invent blah, 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 blah. It isn't just about energy that we need. It isn't just about water. It's about food. It's about shelter. It's about everything because we are in what I call it an, an apex predator. I'm a naturalist, so that's the language I use. And as an apex predator, we're supposed to be like owls on top of a food chain, not like grasshoppers at the bottom. And when you flip that pyramid around, you just start a whole series of very unfortunate events that we're experiencing today. Sure. So you're not saying that the issue of affluence and technology aren't a factor. You're saying that the population issue at a certain point, it just dwarfs those other aspects. Yes. And it doesn't just dwarf them, but it 
becomes the one that we tend to ignore the most too. Mm -hmm. So it, I see overpopulation is the uh, is overrunning, overshooting any number of resources. But let's just take water for example. If you were a village in in a developing nation, I'm not even going to mention a nation, as any developing nation, and your village could support a thousand people living to an age of maybe 57, let's say, and it's done that for hundreds of years. But in comes an NGO that says, hey, look, you're dying of malaria or guinea worm or any of the number of diseases that nature has to keep its, you know, its minions in balance. And, uh, and we're going to cure those diseases for you. And they go, oh, thank you very much. We don't like to see our people die. And so now, after a generation, there's 2,000 people drinking from the same well. And now that well water is running dry they are now overpopulated to the resource of their well water. And now they have to go further and further and further to get water for the people that we've increased. Mm -hmm. So I don't consider those people to be affluent or full of technology. They may have cell phones by now. Right. But just that relation, I, I guess what I like to focus on is the relationship of how many are demanding a specific or actually many resources. Sure. So, so I, I, I just asked the question, like today, um, I looked up at 11 o'clock today, I looked up, how many people have we net gained on the planet this year? And the answer, drum roll, is over 42 million. Mm -hmm. Okay. Today, our net gain on the planet was 82,529 at 11 o'clock central daylight time. What I just want to ask people who don't want to talk about numbers is what resource can keep up with that kind of demand? Mm -hmm. And I have had, I've had people give me all kinds of answers which reveal uh, their passion, but they also reveal their ignorance. They say, well, we treat the water. There should be plenty of it. Right. No, that's not how water works, you right. know. Yeah, the earth is full of finite resources and there's certain things we can say, oh, we don't need that mineral anymore. We can just use something else for our computers. Okay, maybe, but water is not one of those. Right. So, but you would maybe acknowledge that the affluence issue, say, in the U.S., so where people have much greater footprint, that that, that is something that is extremely important to factor into the equation as well. Oh, absolutely. And we and we, we, we steal resources from their countries. All those things are very true. I'm not just because I'm I'm trying to get to a higher truth doesn't mean I deny the truths that are beneath it. And when I say beneath it, I mean because they are already being addressed in the literature and the public discourse. It's not that they're not true, it's that they're they need to be more they are more true when you add in numbers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I we live in such a binary culture, whether you're either this or that. And I think we have to say, you know, both. Sure, it's affluence, of course. But to me, I just think sometimes if I buy a big pen that I have to throw away, that's affluent, isn't mm -hmm. it? I mean, it, it doesn't have to be a, a Hummer or a limousine or a golden showerhead. It can be something as as ridiculous as a disposable razor is affluent, you For know. Sure. So I, I think that our disposable society, just the choices of shampoos is ridiculous. If you've ever been to a developing country where they're lucky to have shampoo or water at all, and you come in, you, you just get shell-shocked when you come back to a, a, a Walgreens or a CVS store and you go, three aisles of shampoos, please, in different flavors. You know, So our affluence isn't just in um, 
the bigness, the big cars, the private jets and all the mansions. It's just in the maybe how many shampoos we have is a ridiculous amount when you talk about the limits of the earth. It's none. I don't deny any of that as being true. But mm-hmm. what's truer is is how many people are going to buy shampoo today. It's not just the different choices we have. Sure. Yeah, and I totally understand that. I think those are valid points. I guess the argument that a lot of folks would have is, well, for instance, Americans. Uh, let's see some data here. Americans are five percent of the population. We're using seventeen percent of the energy, right. et cetera, et cetera. And I think right. about even my lifestyle, which. I don't live super high on the hog or anything like that, but compared to most people around the world, I do. But then I compare it to, say, a family member of mine who has a pretty exorbitant lifestyle. I realize that he does consume many, many more times than I do. So it's like, well, there could be 10 Joshes for every one of him. So that I think is a valid point, right, where people say, well, Americans are taking more than their share. And that's very true. But once a person's on the planet, that is very hard to control. Sure. I mean, you can, you can, you know, I have neighbors who have far more toys than I have, you know, snowmobiles and, and, uh, you know, you just, I don't even know the names of these ATV things that they have, you know, so absolutely. Um, But, you know, it's, it's also true that how many people, so let's say you have, four ATVs, but you're one person, you can only ride one at a time, polluting the world. Um, but if you have six kids and six ATVs, now they can all be running at the same time, polluting the world. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how the relationship works. So it's always both. It's yeah. always both. Right. Um, right. And and once you're in a system, it's very hard to go backwards. I mean, it's like, if I wanted to see my friends today, I don't have an option of a horse and buggy, right? Um and and I'm in Minnesota, so biking isn't always available and and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it, it isn't about denying affluence. It's about can we please put numbers on the table with affluence? So it's it's just the, it's the easiest one to throw under the carpet because it's so it brings up so many things like the first time someone will say to me, they'll say, well, what's your solution, Karen? I said, my solution is to understand the problem. Because we'll, we'll figure out the solutions. We figured out finally what we had to do about smoking. And it wasn't, it wasn't uh, oh, you can smoke in the back of the airplane. That wasn't the solution. Uh, when I first, uh, let's see, it was maybe not 25 years ago, my health club had a smoking section inside of it. So we have evolved to, under, to match our solutions with what the real problem is. And if, if one person in the United States adds 56 tons of carbon to the atmosphere, and one air flight is 1.6 tons, then why are we focused on the air flight? That's my question. Fair enough. Yeah, I've spoken to people who have said to me, literally, it doesn't matter how many people are on the planet. That has nothing to do with it at all. And for that, I, I think there is no argument that that's, that's clearly not the case. I mean, even if even if we, let's say, all lived in a cave and ate insects, at a certain point in time, there would be too many people. Let's say that number would right. be 100 billion. Who knows what it is? But eventually we get to the point that person said, no, it has nothing to do with that and never would. So that person doesn't have a lot of rationality in my mind. But I think well, it's coming from a different place. It's coming from that place of it feels yucky to talk about this kind of stuff. And right. I think there are other issues around it that maybe we could get into, but, but let's, let's cover, 
let's cover some of the critiques around the concept of it being racist to talk about population. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of just get into that for a bit and then we can talk about other aspects of this. Well, I'm on record as, as saying that um, this issue has got to be have more uh, black voices. I, in fact, I wrote an article called If I Were Black, I Wouldn't Believe Me Either. And uh, because numbers are often um, the way people get power is just to overwhelm the power structure. It's very much part of the story in Israel. I'm reading Alone Tal's book called The Land is Full. Um, about overpopulation in Israel. It's a fantastic book, and I, I'm just finishing it now with my mouth dropped open. And many, many of the stories about encouraging, I mean, births of 17 children per some of the, the, the especially the, the ultra-Orthodox, is to counteract the not only the, the growth in the Arab population, but to make up for the people lost in the Holocaust. So um, the idea that you're you're saying that we have too many people the first thing people hear that are triggered by that would say well what kind of people are you talking about who has to watch their population growth and i really do understand that because there's it's not even history it's current you know line of horrible racist beliefs and narratives that have existed since time immemorial especially in this country. But the bottom line is that numbers matter and numbers um, affect actually the most marginalized of us first. The rich can buy their way out of it for a while. They can put the shower heads on that get rid of the chlorine in their water. They can um, fly in their food if the local food supply is tainted. They can bring in... Um, bottled water to areas of pollution. So um, it's the poor that are going to be affected and are affected first um, when this issue isn't dealt with in, a, in a, the most humane possible. Now, when I spoke in China, I'll tell you that my hardest audience was talking to a pregnant Chinese woman who asked me what I thought of the one-child policy in China. That was probably my hardest audience ever. And my answer to her was, you know, I my first trip to China, my only trip. And I looked, I said, I look around and I see pollution. You're all wearing masks. The air is very bad. I haven't seen a park, a waterfall, anything that I would want to keep. Um, I, I, I went to farms. I went to temples. I went, you know, all over, although I wasn't there very long. And I said, what do you think gets better with, with more people? Every single square inch that can be a rice paddy is a rice paddy that used to be forest. And every time you add a person, you add that kind of demand. So that's my, I just threw the question back at her is what gets better? And that's where I'm coming from is, is, is no matter what your pedigree, um, no matter where you come from, having less people can never come from a racist perspective because that's not what it's about. If you really, really get this issue, it's about, over demanding the earth's resources. And that's the only thing it should be about. If you really get this issue, you realize that you are helping the most marginalized of us. We found that out in Thailand when uh, Michai Viravalda, who I always probably mangle his name, 
Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was in the 1970s looking at his country and its poverty and and decided rather than start an anti-poverty program, he would start a, um, a, a nationwide birth control um, project. And he's actually called the Condom King. They actually call condoms now Michais after him because he wanted to get this Buddhist and very shy country very familiar with the condom and what it would prevent. And over time, they pre- he prevented 9 million births. The GDP of their country went up. And pretty much Thailand was was and still is a pretty um, homogeneous culture of, of, of um, Thai people. They do have, of course, immigrants as well. But um, he was very successful in, in, in getting people out of poverty by making sure they had less TFR, total fertility rate. And I like to look at those issues in those countries by saying, Overpopulation is a worldwide problem that needs to be applied culturally, respectfully in every country. And that he overcame the Buddhist, um, you know, very shy. I mean, can you imagine what would happen in this country? He had third graders putting, uh, turning condoms into water balloons and dropping them off of the roofs of their buildings and just to make that work. I just can't imagine what what an unemployment line I would have been in as a teacher if I tried to do that here. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, this is a touchy conversation. I find myself even getting nervous when I bring up the topic, but it's not because I feel like it's uh, an illegitimate topic. It's because I know that there are folks who will not only critique, which is fine. I love critique. That's that's what it's mm-hmm. all about. But will basically make accusations that are potentially you know, career killing you can be socially ostracized. No one wants to be called a racist unless, of course, you're a racist, in which case you probably don't care. <laughs> but yes, for instance, there was some comment on something to do with Planet of the Humans. I just bring that up because that's the most recent and most public example of even a brief mention of population issues and other topics as well that a lot of environmentalists didn't want to hear. But Basically, they they were talking about the population issue, and this person asked, so how do you propose to kill off these billions of people? And here's the thing. That statement, I'm sure whoever that individual is, there is some genuine compassion in their heart for disadvantaged people, whoever they may be talking about. However, I don't for a second believe that they think that Jeff Gibbs, the filmmaker of Planet of the Humans and Michael Moore, are advocating to kill off billions of people. The idea that if you're concerned about overpopulation, that means kill people who are alive right now. And so just on the record, you don't advocate for mass genocide, right? No, you see, I I talk about this. Please know that I, I, I love this question because I address it in every talk I've given. I say, I got up this morning, put on an outfit, drove in my car to speak to you today because I care about the future of this planet, its wildlife, and its people. If I didn't care, I would stay home and let nature do what it's going to do to us, which isn't pretty, and I don't want to be here when it happens. Mm-hmm. So the only reason to talk about this issue is because you care. If you don't care, then be quiet about it and cancel everybody who's talking about it, because that will let nature say, fine, here come more viruses, here come more tsunamis, here come more hurricanes, goodbye humans, 
more scarcity. That's what you're trying to prevent when you're, if you are a sincere, I mean, I got my doctorate in social justice. I'm, I'm Jewish and, and have a whole history in my family of what it means to be uh, hated and, and, and destroyed, or at least attempt to be destroyed. So it's very offensive to me when people say to you, well, do you want people to die? I said, uh, if I wanted people to die, I would be quiet. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to die, so I am vocal. Yeah, and I think that goes without saying. Uh, I certainly didn't think that you were an advocate of genocide, but it is interesting because that is the way that you can silence people from talking about stuff like that. Because exactly, who, who wants to and be accused of that? It's a it's a tool of the of cancel culture, and we can't let them use it anymore. It's just it's it's well, you know, the people who are allowing. The, the cancel culture to take over are no better than the people who allowed McCarthy to say that everybody was a communist. Just think of the potential creativity we lost when, when I, my own cousin was, was part of that whole blacklisting of, of, uh, and that's what it was called back then, um, mm-hmm. of, of writers who were deemed communist. And so it's the same thing. Oh, you said this thing, you know, 20 years ago, goodbye, you've just lost your job at the university or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, when people bring up that sort of stuff, I tend not to engage because I don't feel like I'm dealing with somebody who is speaking rationally at the time. Right. But what I do ask folks, and you know, I'm willing to have my mind changed on all sorts of things, but I ask them, do you support lifting people out of poverty? And they say, of course. Do you support people getting access to education? Like, of course. And do you support people at being able to access birth control? And they say, yes. And so in my mind, well, those are three pieces to dealing with overpopulation. So what's what's to oppose? So what do right. you think about what do you think about the framing in that terms of leaving? Anything oh, I, th- out? I think that's I think that's really good framing. Um, let me give you another thing that you can talk about when you when because there's there's two things you've brought up so far. One is the whole, you know, false genocide, genocide, you know, um, you know, conversation, but the other is the affluence conversation. Um, I was watching, as I tend to be a nature nerd, um, a documentary made in 2005 on Laos and its um, um, and its wildlife, and really interesting to me. They were talking about oh, the sun bears and the and the Asian elephants and and these fantastic animals are all on the endangered species list. Well. What's really interesting is the is that the Laotian population could never be accused of being affluent. Would you agree, just from what you've heard? Sure. So they're they're basically subsistence farmers and fishermen and fisherwomen. All right. So in 2005, there were still Indonesian tigers in the wild. They can't find any anymore. Sun bears are going down. All these, all these, everything's worse. Everything's worse by any measure of endangered species. But it isn't because they're all living in mansions. It isn't because they're all driving limos to their private jets. It's because in 1969, the Laotian population was about 2,600,000 people. Do you know what it is now? It's 7,278,000 people. So since 19, since the first Earth Day, the, the, the country of Laos has added 
four and a half million people to a very small country. In fact, much of it is is mountainous. Now, now they let you go and cut down the forest to you know grow your food and and so on. So in that case, the the wildlife are not being hurt by affluence. They're being hurt by population growth because every single one of these people needs to make a living, needs to feed their family. And their, their TFR isn't even that big. It's like 2.7, something like that. And, but 2.7 means growth because two is replacement, right? And so um, when, I, when I look at that as an example, um, and I, I also look at, um, have you ever been to the Midwest, Josh? You're from Vermont, is that right? I'm from New York State originally, but yeah, I've traveled through the Midwest a fair amount. Okay. Well, Wisconsin is our neighboring state, and it happens to be 10,000 square miles uh, shy of the, the, the same uh, of Bangladesh. And it, Wisconsin has about 5.8 million. Do you know how many people live in Bangladesh? No. Well, when I started doing my talks, it was 156 million in the same size as Wisconsin. And now it's like 167 million, okay? It's also mostly a swampland, very, very threatened by rising seawaters. Um, if you had a magic wand and unlimited money, how would you get the people of Bangladesh out of poverty? What would you do? You know, you, you can't make Bangladesh any bigger. In fact, it's getting smaller with sea ocean rises. The fact that they're, um, we have to bring up religion too, but their religion doesn't allow for small families, doesn't allow for birth control, all the things that add up to that kind of growth means that there's just a huge amount of suffering going on right now and it's just going to get worse in the future. So I just wonder why we can't talk about this because we could prevent so much suffering. So would you say that the folks who not only don't want to talk about overpopulation, but are pushing back against even having a conversation that those folks are inadvertently causing more suffering in the world? Uh, yeah. And, and I don't even want to give them the inadvertently pass because mm. it doesn't take much. You know, we, ha we all have these libraries at our fingertips now. It doesn't take much. Ask why doesn't Sun Country fly to Bangladesh? Well, <laughs> because it's so much poverty there that they, there's no infrastructure. How many? What's the total? I mean, they know. I think that think what they're doing is they're trying to hang on to a very old and tired narrative, which says that um, either it's all about the U.S. We're, we're bad, bad people for how much affluence we have. You know, if you just gave up one of your cars. Uh, Everybody in Bangladesh could have food or something like that, or only we just distributed food better. I mean, all those things can happen, but they can't happen without um, really looking at our our uh, our numbers. Our, uh, you know, it's it's not just your individual footprint; it's how many feet are doing the printing. Mm -hmm. If you've ever heard that before, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, these issues are definitely concerned with me, not just for environmental issues, but human issues. I mean, I've worked on campaigns going door to door that were helping people in developing nations. So that's a, a thing that's close to my heart. So I want to do what is right for everyone. And it's interesting because 
we're being told, don't talk about it because it's bad for folks in developing nations. But what you're saying and what a lot of the evidence suggests is not talking about it is far, far worse. So it's a really, it's a really tricky thing. I mean, this is just one of many taboo topics in the environmental movement. And I, I do think that there is genuine concern about racism involved with it. I, I'm sure there are some current day racists who are talking about overpopulation. I'm sure that's the case. But from the folks that I've spoken to, I, I've never spoken to a person who I could get a whiff of that, who is working in the environmental movement, who cares about no. that. It's, no. I, I would argue maybe some people are, um, I don't want to say anti-human, but a bit misanthropic. <laughs> so maybe across the board, like, oh, humans, I've talked to plenty of environmentalists like that. And I kind of used to be like that myself, but that's not a picking out of a certain group. That's a like, oh, all humans suck. And I, I no longer believe that. I think we can suck and we often do tend to suck, but we don't automatically all suck. But I, I actually think, and I'd be curious what you think about this, the racism component, I think, is some well-meaning people are bringing that up. They just maybe don't have enough information really about the topic. I do think it is also being used as a cudgel to silence. But, but the question is why? And what I'm finding is that the taboo topic in the environmental movement, and it's pretty crazy, is talking about the idea that we can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. Like, that all I these, would agree. All these aspects radiate out of that. Population is just one component of that. I talk a lot about infinite economic growth. And so the idea of a steady state economy where we kind of, let's just stabilize. We have a whole economy that's based on forever expansion. Guess what? That's literally impossible. We can't do it. Maybe we can keep doing it for a while, but eventually right. we can't. And what I find is that the mainstream environmental movement, the big green groups will shut down that conversation at every turn. And yes. it's often because of naivete. I think, oh, you know, something will fix it magically, whatever. They don't want to think about it because it's pretty dark to think about how things are going. I do think it's also a lot of folks who are the tech will solve everything and there are business interests in that regard. So that's not just optimism or over optimism and naivete. It's we can make some money on just selling more products, be it just solar panels. And I don't personally have a problem with solar panels. I, I really don't. I think using solar panels in lieu of looking at the economic growth argument can further more economic growth unsustainably. So that that's what I contest. I say we can't just forever grow and then prop up some solar panels. But I'm seeing that similar thing, that that critiquing of the infinite growth thing that so many in the environmental movement, which may be because it's been co-opted by political parties, who knows, uh, just resist. They won't they don't want us to talk about. It. Do you think that might be not, not some conspiracy theory, but do you think that might be some of the drive behind the pushback in general? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's hard to keep an NGO growing. And many have sold their soul to the devil by saying, we'll just take money from this group or we'll just take money from that group. I did an experiment during the last Iraq war where I, I, I couldn't see where the uh, new, where I was getting my news from on the radio. And I could 100% guess when I was getting it from purely public radio and for not so purely public radio, those had already accepted major donations from major corporations. The different language, it was a little bit of a nuance, but it was not unvarnished. And we get varnished truth, which means we get lies 
from those who have an agenda. And when you take money from corporations, no matter what your intent is, you end up backing away from the truth because they're invested in more. Capitalism wants more people. It wants more workers. I mean, when you hear pretty soberly that some countries want to take away birth control so they can have more people to fight wars, it even gets sadder when they go. They don't care about human life at all. They, they'll say they do, but they'll say they just want to put a, an outfit on them and have them go shoot somebody. It's not really a pro-life movement. Um, so overpopulation gets entangled in all kinds of things. It gets entangled with, you know, abortion, immigration, things that that are a subset of the whole concept of too many people, no matter how they're growing, if you have too many people, ask any city, ask any country that's struggling with so much density, because that's been our, I call it our gasoline answer for um, growth is let's just build higher and out. Either we gobble up farmland or we just go so far we have to invent you know, taller, you know, elevators that go up to 50 floors and, and, and now we'll solve something. And so I, I basically think overpopulation advocates like myself are doing the world a huge favor. We're saying you need to get off your merry-go-round because it's not working for you. I don't ever want someone thinking they need to do something for me. This isn't personal other than the fact that I love the planet and its natural resources and the people who are struggling to survive now what are they going to be doing when there's 10 billion of us if we don't if we don't do something about it you know i think that i i'm we're offering a way to a different future and just saying a word can't cancel you out because it cancels not only the person but the conversation that could actually offer a real solution not a fake one we're just really into fake solutions nowadays just horribly sad that that there are some real answers out there, and the answers get less fun as you go on. Mm -hmm. Well, the cancellation issue. So I come pre-canceled, so I don't worry about stuff like that. That's kind of <laughs> the, the point of Greenwood Podcast is yep. to talk to those who have been canceled, are being canceled, or be about to be canceled in the environmental <laughs> movement. So it's a little different than what's going on in the larger right. world. Uh, a lot of that stuff is kind of social issue stuff, and that does definitely have a component of what's going on in the environmental movement. But I find just if you talk about, hey, uh, where does this foundation funding come from? That's what gets you canceled. That's got nothing to do with social right. issues, really. Right. But yeah, so I, basically it's like, so current economic system, it, it's dependent on infinite growth. So those who are in favor of that want more consumption and they want more consumers. So right. a lot of the folks who think they might be fighting against racism, which is a great cause to fight against. You know, that's that's great. I've been on board that since I was an uh, early preteen. But instead of actually advocating against racism, what you're doing is you're advocating for, in this case, unfettered capitalism and eventually a terrible outcome of collapse and universal right. suffering. So right. we might feel good for the day. Oh, we shot down somebody who we think is doing this. And by all means, if somebody is putting out racist stuff, saying things about certain races or ethnicities or groups of people, whatever they may be, being inferior, being less worthy of less value, advocating harm towards them, absolutely call that out and deal with it. And 
hell, send me an email and I'll be right on top of that because I'm a journalist. But right. but saying that here's somebody's talking about the number of people in the world, they are automatically racist. We have to get away from that sort of black exactly. and white thinking. And it's right. not doing us any good. It isn't to say that we can't have discussions and critiques, and I right. welcome critiques on any topic. But when somebody say sends a tweet, it wasn't sent to me, but if I got a tweet saying, you know, if I said something like, after this, this, um, this podcast, somebody said, oh, so how do you propose to kill off billions of people? I'm not going to engage with that because I don't even feel like that's a genuine comment. If somebody <laughs> instead said, how do you feel about the fact that there might be some people out there who are espousing these ideas who do want to murder lots of people? Now, that's a genuine question. And so I, I guess we've sort of went over that, distancing oneself from that calling out the aspects that are truly racist. I assume you agree with doing all of that, right? Absolutely. It's like saying, when did you stop beating your wife? Now, how are you supposed to answer that question? Yeah, it's a bit of a trap. And it's really <laughs> it's disingenuous. A no, it's a no-win no situation. Again, I just always repeat, my agenda is to work on reducing suffering, misery, and early death yeah. and, and, and loss of wildlife. That's my agenda. Yeah. Okay. So, so if you if you if you believe my agenda, those questions aren't value, valued anymore. They're, they're not even going to be asked. Yeah. If if my agenda was to murder people, I could save myself a lot. Of, I should just take up knitting. I think I done. I think I made one pair of mittens in my life. Yeah. To be truthful, maybe I've done one of everything. I'm not a very good knitter. I'm not a very good, you know, needle pointer. But I would take up knitting because the, nature's going to do the murdering. Fair enough. So what would be the ideal number of people on Earth? Different people have different ideas about that. And it always depends on the amount of uh, resources you have at that moment. So right down today, um, we have, you know, 7.8 billion. And if, if we could stay at that, we can't, because today we're going to add about 200,000 people to that, mm -hmm. even with COVID. I mean, we're, 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 we're much faster growing than we are dying. Um, and that's a good thing. I don't want anybody to think that I want that to be a different ratio, but, um, uh, people have said between one and 2 billion at a European lifestyle is kind of the average. That's not American lifestyle. You know, an average European lifestyle would be one car and a smaller home and that kind of thing. Sure. Sure. So what would be first steps for us to take in regards to, this issue of overpopulation, were we to be concerned about it and wanting to take action? What are things that we can do in our lives, maybe personally, but at a larger level in terms of our government, in terms of legislation, in terms of systems? What are we supposed to do about this? Well, I think the first step in any understanding any issue is to to know it well. You should every I think every environmental organization should put a world population clock and a U.S. population clock on their websites, number one. Mm -hmm. Because you will find out, it, it's stunning. It's just stunning. It'll it'll tell you how many births there were today, how many how many deaths there were today, and what the what the what the you know natural growth was today. And I actually thought that this would be a good idea for we had a a, a green expo called Living Green Expo here in the in the Twin Cities. I went to for many years. And I just got further and further disgusted with it as it became much more co-opted by 
places that finally told me if I bought this soap, I would save the environment. You know, it's one of those things. Anyway, I said, well, what if you put a computer with the world population clock on it and then ask someone to guess how many people have been added to the planet by the time they left and they got a, I don't know, incandescent fluorescent light bulb as a, as a reward. And they wouldn't even do that. And so here was a green expo and I just wanted to put the context of their, you know, their CSA, which is a community supported agriculture purchase next to the fact that we just added maybe 20,000 people to the planet since they came in the door. So knowing, knowing the issue to me is number one and understanding its push and impact on many things. The second thing is to understand that what we're doing to the planet and full disclosure, I know Jeff and Ozzy as well, Planet of the Humans and a big supporter of what they, Michael Moore have been trying to do to wake us up from our slumber. Um, and, and, and is to, to realize, as Planet of the Human said, it isn't just about energy. Energy is just one aspect of human demand for the, from the Earth. We're an overshoot of everything. And so when you're in overshoot of everything, the solutions can't come from how we consume. You know, because if I consume a little less today and three other people move into my block tomorrow, that's been eaten up. All right. So to understand the relationship of consumption and numbers and then to always, always repeat in between, we're going to do this in the most compassionate, humane way possible. You always repeat that because that's the goal. The goal is to, to, to reduce misery, suffering, and early death. That's the goal. And so realizing also that you have to do it locally. I, whatever I do today, I cannot do a very good job of reducing population in, in another country, be it Nigeria, be it whatever. Um, I can have an opinion. What happens when England says, come on, let's bring in everybody from Hong Kong. They're even considering that, that is being, you know, uh, mistreated by by the Chinese government. Let's bring them into. And I'm thinking, I've been to England. Oh my God, it's already so overpopulated. Terrible idea. Does that mean I'm against the people from Hong Kong having a better life? Of course not. I'm just looking at it from a local perspective. That that um, however you grow, whether it's immigration, which we grow by about 1.2 million in the United States every year. That's our main reason for growth. Um, and, and no one wants to talk about the I word, but if that's why you're growing and you understand that growth is not what we need to do when we're already in overshoot of all of our resources, then you will address these issues humanely because you have that ethic. So I think it's a combination of an ethical understanding of ecological sanity. That's what I'm asking people to do. We have to be ecologically sane. It's not ecologically sane to look at the Earth's rare elements and ask it to please invent us another toy that's going to save the world. You know, I, I feel like writing an essay, Josh, that says there isn't an app for this. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's, there's an understanding, a deep understanding of, you know, what, what grows at, at, as fast as our growth is the question people have to ask. And it isn't oil production, it isn't mining production, it isn't water, it isn't all the things we need and, and in the process of trying to keep up with growth, we are damaging the environment that we need. So my, my deep concern is to, to ask people, what kind of world will that new grandchild inherit? Sure. Is it a, it's not a very pretty one. So what I'm trying to do, again, prevent misery, suffering, and early death. And we have to do it on the most local level, because that, that's the world we can reach. 
So I think getting involved, getting getting educated and not being afraid of the truth, because uh, I, I, I the other thing I like to ask is, how's it working for you? What, what you're doing right now? It, how's it working? Look at that world population clock. How do we get it to slow down in a way that's humane? That's the questions we should be asking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't get much into the immigration issue, but the closest I come in terms of dealing with and discussing population issues here in Colorado is just we have a lot of people coming into Colorado. And guess what? I was one of them. <laughs> Six years ago, I came before the wave. Right. And we're not talking about people from other countries here. We're talking about people from Inward Ch- Chicago Absolutely. and yeah. Texas and stuff like that. And I don't well, really why know. Do you, why did you, can I just ask, mm-hmm. why, what was the attraction of Colorado? Well, it's probably what everyone else is. I wanted to be close to a population center, but be close to nature at the same time. Right. So what I'm realizing is that a lot of these natural areas are being overrun. And I personally... By too many people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I go further and further afield and I change my whole schedule around so I can go out into the mountains without a bunch of people being around. I have noticed right. more and more folks. So it, it may be an issue of, well, don't move into an area that has all those folks. So maybe I should move to Montana or something like that. <laughs> but yeah, I don't really even know what to do about it. I know that I am part of the issue. And I think that's a we all are. good place yeah. to start with any of these issues, seeing how you are a part of it. It's not about pointing fingers at others. It's right. Like, oh, it was fine for no, me no. to come to Colorado and not other people. I don't believe well, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, humans are going to do what makes us the happiest, what makes us the most comfortable. That's who we are. That's our place on the food chain. Um, we're going to try to feed our families. We're going to try to make our lives as comfortable as possible. And, and we can't um, really escape that. But we do have to realize that um, Colorado has limited borders. It has, um, you talk to Gary Walkner, and um, it already has all these problems with rivers not running even to the oceans anymore. Um, the, the, um, one of my, I'm a big fan of Al Bartlett, who, who talked um, Professor Emeritus from, I think it was Colorado State University, and he, he talked about, you know, nothing gets better with growth. He said you can call it smart growth, but that's just growth done with a little more taste, you know. And, and so growth is, is the enemy of nature, and it's the enemy of us. And to stop growing is the challenge. But first we have to realize growth is not our friend. And um, I don't consider it an immigration issue. I consider it a population issue. If growth isn't our friend, you have to stop growing the way you're growing. You know, if, if that's the way you're growing, um, then you have to figure out some legal, like, like I'm a granddaughter of an immigrant, but when my grandfather came to this country in the 1920s, the legal immigration was about 110 um, million and now it's 1.2 million. So could we go back to the 1920s and make that? I don't know, but, but we can certainly have that conversation. You don't have to be anti-immigrant, but you can be anti-legal immigration that is quite unsustainable. You know, I think the conversation needs to be on true sustainability because it's not sustainable for Boulder, Colorado to double in population. What's going to happen to the mountains? What's going to happen to the water? And I think one of the enemies we haven't talked about is our sort of freedom. I want to be free to have as many kids as I want. I want to be free to have, to move anywhere in the country that I can afford. And 
that idea of freedom, especially in the mindset of the average U.S. citizen, is really something that we are challenging because, but it's not you or me that are challenging it. It's actually population itself. If, if you want to, I don't know what the, what the traffic patterns are in, in Colorado, but in Minnesota, um, pre-COVID, if you wanted to go up north on a Friday afternoon, you would not be free to do that. You would be in traffic for two and a half hours because we've tripled our population. So I think overpopulation actually hurts our freedom, but it's been framed to actually um, uh, be, be something that, you know, I, I want to be free to make these decisions myself. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely something we need to talk about, and it is definitely something that people won't talk about. So that's why yeah. I wanted to have you on the podcast. Well, I'm still, I appreciate your bravery. Yeah, well, I'm still evolving on some of these issues, and I'm learning more. I don't really have all the answers. I don't even know if I have any of the answers, but I created Green Root Podcast to ask questions. And all I know is the day that comes where we can't ask questions, that's a, that's a sad, sad day. And I'm going to keep asking questions on this podcast and bringing people on who I agree with, people who I disagree with, people who a little bit both. And if folks have critiques, I would love to hear them. I definitely respond to rational critiques. I definitely do not respond to attacks and efforts to silence. So right. Well, uh, thank you for that. That that's that's a great that's a great need in our culture right now, Josh, is to have your perspective and to have your calm voice of of questioning. Um, I I usually start my talks and I'll end it this way. I would love to be wrong. I have no agenda other than reducing misery, suffering, and early death on our planet and in our country. Um, so if you can show me that I'm wrong, I think there's a new book coming out that says we need more Americans. We need to grow to a billion. And I'm, I, I just want to drink that Kool-Aid and find out where that's coming from. Um, but I do need, I would add one other thing to, to what you're saying is I'm an evidence-based person. So if I'm wrong, I need evidence. Mm-hmm. So and I need the kind of, I need the kind of evidence that will convince me. So please come to the table as an adult with a calm voice and bring me evidence and I'll just start, I'll take up knitting or something. Right. So there's Karen's invitation. She's saying, go ahead, disagree with her and point out why she's wrong. And so that's uh, that's pretty open-minded in my book. If folks want to get in touch with you for whatever reason, they support what you're doing. Don't get in touch with her if you want to harass her, though. <laughs> that is not cool. <laughs> but if you want, if they want to get in touch with you, they want to read your books, they want to find out more about your work in this topic, what would they do? Well, um, I, I would contact me through my through my website. It's called www.movingupstream.com. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for coming on the Green Root Podcast and talking about this topic. And thank you for having this podcast. I will be a fan for a long time. <laughs> Great to hear. Thank you.